of the greatest Bible studies that have ever been written. And I'm talking about Search for Truth as a whole. But now I'm talking about this particular lesson. It's awesome. It is awesome. Somebody say, God is awesome. And so if you came tonight, you will be blessed because God's going to speak to you. Amen. He's going to encourage you and He's going to give you truth. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us that the love of God makes us free. The Bible tells us that the truth makes us free. And I, and we all believe in the love of God, but so many people today who, who talk about love define it from a humanistic point of view. And really, what they're talking about is self-love. They're not talking about God's kind of love because they think that love alone is sets you free, but it doesn't. Truth makes you free. And so tonight you're going to hear some truth. Amen. We got this far last week, the fruit of the Spirit. Amen. And there's, of course, different gifts of the Spirit, but the same Spirit the Scripture tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Now, the gifts of the Spirit are given by the Spirit. So that means you have to have the Holy Ghost before you can have any one of the nine gifts of the Spirit. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul specifically deals with the gift of the Spirit called tongues. And it's really not gift of tongues, but it's divers kinds of tongues that he's talking about. And these tongues here that he's talking about, it's not the same thing as when you get the Holy Ghost and speak in tongues. The Bible says, do all speak with tongues? Well, in this context, in 1 Corinthians 14, 1 Corinthians 12, and then 1 Corinthians 14, the gift of tongues, not everybody has the gift of tongues. Which means you stand up in church or you're sitting in church and the Spirit of God comes on you and you start speaking in tongues and then those tongues are translated. Not everybody experiences that type of gift of tongues that he's talking about here. That's charisma or grace gifts. These gifts are grace gifts. You with me here? And so some people take 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and chapter 14 and they try to prove that the gift of tongues is not for everybody. Okay? Because the question is, do all speak with tongues? But in the context of 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, it's not about the birth of the Spirit. These people in the Corinthian church already have been born of the Holy Ghost born of the Spirit, and every one of them speak in tongues. Without exception, every Corinthian believer, if you are a true believer, speaks in tongues. If you are a true believer here tonight, you will speak in tongues without exception. We saw that last week, that everybody that gets the Holy Ghost speaks in tongues. Because when you, when you talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost... It's not even the same word that's used here. Okay? The Greek word here is charisma. But when you talk about the gift of the Holy Ghost, it's a totally different word. It's doria. So when you get the gift of the Holy Ghost, the doria of the Holy Ghost, you will speak in tongues. Everybody does. 
But when you get filled with the Doria of the Holy Ghost, it doesn't mean you get the charisma gift called tongues that is used in the church to edify the body of believers. Do you understand me? They're not the same thing. Now, they operate in essence, for, for example, the gifts of the Spirit, they're different gifts, but they're all operated from the Spirit. In your house, you've got all kinds of appliances. You've got some of you toasters, some of you electric ovens, some of you electric uh, washing machines, electric dryers, and on and on it goes. But all of those electrical appliances work off of electricity. So there's one Spirit, and these, the Spirit of God is what produces the gifts of the Spirit. So think of it like different appliances that fit different needs. When you get the Holy Ghost, I'm going to say it again, when you get Doria, you will speak in tongues. If you haven't spoken in tongues yet, then you don't have the Holy Ghost yet. But when you seek the Holy Ghost, you're not seeking tongues, you're seeking the Holy Ghost. But when you get the electricity, you're going to have the manifestation of it, and you will speak in tongues. That's, that's Bible. Okay, that's Bible. That's not tradition. That's Bible. So you've got to have the Holy Ghost, and all these Corinthian believers spoke in tongues. Every one of them, they had the Holy Ghost, but not all of them operated in every one of these gifts. That's the point. Now, I don't have time tonight to go through every one of these gifts of the Spirit, but we have wisdom. Is a word of wisdom from God. How to apply knowledge. Supernatural wisdom. We have supernatural knowledge that's not acquired by study. That comes by the Spirit of God. Uh, faith is something that goes beyond just your, the faith that you have to be saved. It's a supernatural faith to believe God for something miraculous. It goes beyond your ability to believe for it. Okay? So it's a supernatural gift that comes to you for a specific time as you need it. Okay? You with me here? There is the gifts of... Or gift of healing. Gift of healing. God will give you a gift of healing. Now, we pray and we anoint with oil. We pray over people the prayer of faith and believe they'll be healed that way. But sometimes God brings a gift. Picture a box wrapped like a gift. And he puts it inside of that person. That's a gift of healing. Okay? And some people operate in the gifts of healing. Okay? God uses them specifically to operate in this particular gift. To impart gifts of healing to people. Now it's really the Spirit through them that does it. Tongues and interpretation of tongues. You may be in a service and all of a sudden somebody starts speaking in tongues. That doesn't always mean that there's going to be a message. Sometimes they're interceding for the service. So you have to be sensitive to the Spirit of God to know what's happening. Is the person just interceding for the service in the Spirit or for themselves? Or is God going to speak to the church to edify the whole body? So you have to be in tune with the Spirit as the church. So as a church whole, not just the pastor, but as a church as a whole, when you hear somebody speak in tongues, the best thing you can do when they start speaking out loud is be sensitive to the Spirit. He'll shut you down. He'll, he'll quieten you. And when that happens, that holy hush comes on the house, then most of the time God's trying to break in and speak to His church. Let Him do it. Don't just keep rattling on. <laughs> Let him do it. Let him take over. It's an awesome thing. And so God comes in here to edify us. Edify the body or to build up the body. 
And then sometimes and most often when you're praying, you pray in the Holy Ghost for self-edification. So self-edification and church edification is where we have these tongues operating here. But the birth of the Spirit is everybody speaks in tongues. But you got to have the Holy Ghost before you can be used in these gifts. Now, there's the interpretation of tongues that go along with this. Notice it says interpretation of tongues. It doesn't say translation. It doesn't say translation. Now, some of you wonder why I'm going so fast. Because I'm not teaching on just the gifts of the Spirit. i got about six, seven, eight pages to cover tonight. Okay, so we don't have time. But interpretation of tongues is not a translation of tongues. So that somebody stands up and they start speaking in tongues and they may speak in tongues for a minute. And then somebody else who interprets the tongue stands up and trans or interprets it in five seconds. And you're going, what's going on there? It, it sounded like the person who spoke uh, in tongue went a long time and the person that interpreted it was short. Because it is not a translation word for word. It is an interpretation of the message. Okay? Discerning of spirits. There's different kinds of spirits. There's human spirits. There is demonic spirits. There is angelic spirits. And there's God spirits. God spirit. So when you have a discerning of spirits, you have the ability to discern what kind of spirit is operating. If it's the spirit in the person, if it's a demon spirit, if it's an angel that's present, or if it's the spirit of God that's moving. Discernment. You need to pray for that more than anything. As a church, when you pray, ask God to give you discernment. Because that's what's lacking in the church today. Discernment. Praise God. You got that one, right? Now, prophecy. Say prophecy. It is powerful instruction for the church. A very powerful word from God to the church. Okay? It's prophetic. It's supernatural. It can have future implication or it can just be dealing with the present situation okay but it's supernatural instruction or direction from God miracles y'all know what miracles are right goes beyond the natural miracles miracles are things that happen always in the spirit world where God resides miracles are the laws of the spirit they so all of these and in a sense all these gifts of the spirit are the laws of the Spirit. That's, what the, that's how the invisible world operates. Okay? Amen. But again, you can't have any of these gifts if you don't have the Holy Ghost. If you've got the Holy Ghost, then you can, be, you can expect to be used in one of these gifts and sometimes two or three at the same time. Okay? You with me? Very few people have all these gifts operating in them at the same time. Jesus did because He had the fullness of the Spirit. Okay, anyway, let me go on. All right, now, let's talk about the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is different from the gifts of the Spirit. The gifts of the Spirit deal with the power of God. When you talk about the fruit of the Spirit here, you're talking about the character of God. So you can operate in the gifts of the Spirit. Are you with me? And still not have the character of God. You can be using the gifts of the Spirit and not even be morally right with God. 
Because the gifts of the Spirit don't operate based on your holiness. The fruit of the Spirit does, but your power, the power gifts don't operate based on the character of the person. There are some ministers who have been used powerfully of God who has found out later they were in sin. So the gifts of the Spirit operate because God, first of all, the gifts of the Spirit always uplift Christ. They're always to glorify Jesus and never, never the individual. And that will be tested, okay? If we're doing what we're doing to be, you know, self-glorified or to get the attention, that will be tested. But the gifts of the Spirit are to never operate to glorify anybody individual. They're always to lift up Jesus, admonish the believer, warn the believer, correct the believer, instruct the believer. You with me here? Praise God. But always uplift Jesus. But the fruit of the Spirit speaks of the character of God. His character. All right, let's talk about the works of the flesh a little bit, and then we'll get over here in the fruit of the Spirit. The works of the flesh are manifest which are these and he talks about them in Galatians chapter 5 the works of your flesh the sin nature is the seed of the devil that was that entered into man at the fall the works of the flesh is the seed of the devil that entered into man at the fall so what are the works of the flesh well adultery murder Uncleanness, strife, stealing, bad temper, hatred, envy, corrupt speaking, lust, drunkenness, lying, pride. These are all the works of the flesh. And anybody who is operating in the works of the flesh will end up in the lake of fire. Okay? That's the only place that this kind of stuff can go. Do you understand? We have three enemies, the world, the devil, and the flesh. Two of them are on the outside of us, the world and the devil. But the flesh is inside of us. Any one of those enemies, the world, the devil, or the flesh, any one of them by themselves can take you to hell. If you yield to it. Any one of them. Probably the strongest battle we have it's not so much always with the devil or even with the world, but it's with our old fallen nature we've got. That's where the struggle takes place, is with your flesh, okay? These things come from within the heart of man. This is what's inside of us in the natural man. Jeremiah said this in Jeremiah 17. He said, the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked. Who can know it? Your heart and my heart is desperately wicked. It's deceitful. And he says, who can know it? Which brings me to this. Some people say, well, I know my heart. The Bible said, who can know it? So you can't go by what your heart tells you is right and is wrong. Because your heart is deceptive and it's desperately wicked. And if you go by what your heart's telling you, you can't know if it's right or wrong. That's why you've got to stick with the Word of God. And you've got to be led by the Spirit. Because if you start thinking, you start judging things by your heart, you're going to miss it. 
Because your heart and my heart is desperately wicked. Who can know it? God can know it. But I cannot sit back and say, this is wrong, this is right, by what I feel. Because when you start saying, this is wrong and this is right, by what you feel, then you can be deceived and call sin okay and call what God says is right, wrong. That's just the nature of your heart. So we've got to understand that. That we can't go by our feelings. I feel this way. I feel that way. My heart tells me this. My heart tells me that. Friend, your heart is deceitful. And it's desperately wicked. And it will take you to hell. It will take me to hell if I go by what it tells me to do. There's a lot of times my heart tells me don't go to church. There's a lot of times my heart tells me oh, you're too tired. A lot of times my heart says just stay on the couch. Don't go pray. Don't go to church. Don't worry about it. A lot of times my heart tells me that. And I think I'm right. But I've missed it. So you cannot. And I cannot go by our feelings. And too many Christians. Man I feel the Holy Ghost. Too many Christians. And I'm talking to us tonight. Too many of us are led by our feelings. We're led by what we think our heart's telling us. Instead of being led by the Spirit and by the Word of God. We're going to get ourselves in a problem doing that. I feel like God. Man, we need to know what God. Your heart will take you straight to hell. It'll take me straight to hell. Praise God. So you can't judge by your heart. You ever, how many of y'all know what I'm talking about? Most people go by the heart. They make decisions in life based on what they're feeling, what their heart's telling them. I'm going to say it again. Your heart is desperately wicked. It is deceitful. Who can know it? Don't listen to your heart. Don't listen to that fallen nature that's on the inside of you. It will mislead you every time. That's why a lot of times when you're feeling one way, just do the opposite. telling you but in that you got to be sensitive to the Lord do you understand what I'm saying especially in this age in which we live we're so new agey and so you know mushy mushy and <laughs> always trying to appeal to the human flesh to the nature of man always trying to appease the flesh make the flesh feel good Mm -mm. Preachers in the pulpit are motivated by that, not by, they go by their heart, not by the spirit. We've got to be in tune with God. Now, what the Lord does say, He says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you've got to guard your heart, because inside of that fallen nature is all of these things. And some of you look at these various things like murder or adultery or whatever. Say, there's no way I could ever do that. I'm a pretty good old Joe. No, you're not. I'm a pretty good old gal. No, you're not. You are desperately wicked and full of deception on the inside. You need God. I need God. Every one of us. We're not pretty good old Joes and pretty good old gals. Without Jesus, we are hell bound. 
And we look at it and say, well, I can't do, I would never do that. But put into certain circumstances, you not only could do it, but you would be driven to do it. That fallen nature that's inside of us is not only capable, but it is compulsory. It's com- it, it's, there's a compulsion behind it. There's a compulsion. There's a moving. There's a, a pushing. It'll push you into adultery if the circumstances right. It'll push you into murder if the circumstances right. Uncleanness and strife and temper and stealing and corrupt speaking and drunkenness. I'd never do that. Oh, really? You get in the right place at the right time under certain circumstances and you're not only capable, I'm talking about every one of you, including me, you're not only capable of doing it, but you would be, you would be compulsed to do it. And all of that right there, Jesus said, will take you to hell. Believer or not believer, this will take you to hell. Unrepented sin will take you to hell. You've got to hear what I'm saying to you right now. Praise the Lord. All right, y'all okay? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keep your heart with all diligence for out of the issues of life. I'm not mad. I'm just preaching the word to you. And I'm concerned about some of your souls. And I'm concerned about mine. Because we're going by too much emotion. There's too much emotion. There's too much feeling in this, in this thing. We've got to... Do what God tells us, even if we don't feel like it. We've got to hear from God. What is God saying? And what is God doing? And what is His Word on this? What did God say about it? Not by what I feel about it. You know, I, feel, I need to give you this example. You know, airplane pilots, they are trained to keep their eyes on instruments and to never go by their feelings. Instructors tell pilots in training that if you don't keep your eyes on the gauges when you get in a storm or your plane gets out of control, if you don't keep your eyes on the gauges and you go by your feelings, they say it'll kill you. And, and many times pilots who crash went by their feelings. Their feelings told them they were going up. Up. So they went like that when really they were going down and they crashed. Your feelings will mislead you. It'll kill you if you go by your feelings. You cannot. You've got to set your feelings aside. I'm hurting right now. Set it aside. I'm in pain right now. Set it aside. I don't feel good right now about things. Sit. Man, walk with God no matter what you think, how you feel, what you see. Because it will kill you if you start going by what you feel. Now, somebody needs to take that word to heart tonight. To heart. (laughs) You need to take the word to heart tonight. Because some of you are too, you're too easily swayed. You're too easily swayed. Whatever somebody wants you to do, you're like a puppet on a string, man. Whatever they want you to do, you just do it. Whatever your heart feels, you know, if it feels good, do it. That's the philosophy of our society. And it's going to take them to hell. It'll take us to hell, all of us. So we cannot go by our feelings. So this is called the works of the flesh. And every one of us, even born again believers, still have that nature inside of us. That's why our soul has to be saved. 
My spirit got saved, but my soul is being saved. And in my soul realm, my mind, my will, my emotions, when I talk about the heart, I'm not talking about the thing that's beating inside of you. I'm talking about your mind, your will, your emotions. I'm talking about your soul. Your soul, the Bible says, you have to renew your mind. Your soul needs to be saved. My soul is still, I'm still getting saved. Amen. If that were not the case, I would never have any bad thoughts. If that were not the case, I would never, you know, well anyway, some of y'all are already bored with this. But it's good. It's good. It's, it's just well, exactly what we need to hear. And, and especially, you know, this month, this time of the month, when everybody's talking about the heart, you know, well, I got news for you. It's not all lovely and all pretty and all precious and all wonderful. It's full of hell. It's full of the sin of Satan. It's full of the seed of the devil. Every one of us in that soulless realm, in that fallen nature, is like the devil himself. And don't forget it. That's why we got to walk with God. We've got to renew our mind by the Word of God. We've got to stay close to God. Because if we don't, every one of us, including me, can fall into any one of these things right here. Which will eventually take me to hell. So you got to keep it with all diligence. You got to guard it. Amen. Wow, boy, this is good stuff. How many of y'all want to go to hell? If you want to go to hell, wave at me. If you want to go to hell, wave at me. I'm going to show you exactly what you do if you want to go to hell. Nothing. Because all this stuff is already in your heart. It's already in my heart. You've got to be regenerated. It's still there. It's not eradicated. It's still there. Now. But the fruit of the Spirit, that goes to heaven. Because it comes from heaven. And it's produced by the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not the Spirit. And it's not the plural fruits like we got down here. I know some of you can't see this. But it's not fruits, plural. It's fruit. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. It's the fruit of the Spirit, but it's identified nine ways. One fruit, but seen in nine different ways, and that fruit ultimately is love. You with me? The fruit of the Spirit is not the Spirit because the fruit matures. The fruit is always maturing, but God doesn't mature. The fruit is in a, in a process of becoming complete. But the Spirit of God is not in process of becoming complete. God is already complete. But the fruit of the Spirit, I've got the Spirit in me, but the fruit is still maturing. It's still getting more and more ripe. Amen? Do you understand that? Okay. So that's the fruit of a Holy Ghost-filled believer. Love, joy, long-suffering, peace, meekness, gentleness, goodness, faith, temperance. Um, temperance is, of course, self-control, but really it's the control of the Spirit. Y'all pretty much understand these, I think. But these are the ones that are going to operate from heaven, from the realm of the Spirit. This is the character of God. Okay? Not the power, but the character of God. All right.
Y'all with me up to this point? Yeah. Okay, here we go. Thank God. See, I mean, I've got so much to cover. Let me, let me show you something. The Lord says in the Gospels, He said He came to a tree. He came to that tree for three years. For three years, looking for fruit. For three years. Okay? Didn't find no fruit on the tree. Well, He said in the, in the midst of that three-year time, He said, dig around it and dung it. Dig, it up, dig around it and dung it. Y'all know what dunging is, don't you? Dig around it and dung it. Sometimes he digs around us and dungs us. And it hurts when he's digging. And it don't smell too good when he's dunging us. But that's what he does. Okay. So we are the tree that's supposed to produce fruit. He digs around our root system and then he dungs us. Now, he will come back and look at that tree to see if there's fruit on the tree. If there is no fruit on the tree, after he continuously, laboriously goes and works that tree, if there's no fruit, he says this, cut it down and cast it away. Because the Lord is looking for fruit in your life. And he is so awesome and so merciful and so gracious and so wonderful that he'll keep coming to the tree looking for fruit. There's no fruit there. He'll dig around the tree. Throw some dung on the tree. Give it a little bit more time. Let's don't cut it down yet. Let's don't cast it away yet. Give it a little more time and see if it will mature and produce fruit. But after a while, he says, that's it. I've done every possible thing I can for this tree. And it will not produce fruit. So he cuts it down and he casts it away. That's exactly what happens if you're in my life. He comes to us looking for fruit. He does everything possible to see fruit produced. And after a while, he says, that's it. That's it. And he cuts it down and he casts it away. Now, he also talks about in John chapter 15, he says that he's the vine. We're the fruit. Right? What he does to the vine, again, it's process and it don't feel good. But he comes and he clips it. He clips the vine. He comes to us. And boy, you know, we're producing awesome fruit this year. Oh, praise God. Look at my fruit. Hallelujah. Man, look at all this hanging down with fruit. And we think because we had an awesome season of fruit that year, that that carries on, uh, carries us through for the rest of our life. But what he does is the next year, after having a bountiful harvest from us the year before, he goes and he purges us. He gets the leaves off the ground. He washes them with soap and water. That's literally what it means. Washes us with soap and water. Then he takes those old dead branches that, that one time held wonderful fruit on them and he cuts them off. <laughs> and we go, ah, what's he doing, God? Don't you know the awesome harvest I gave you last year? What's you cutting on me for? I, I will not tolerate that. Okay, and takes you, he takes you and throws you right smack dab in the fire. If you're not willing to be purged and pruned, the only thing he can do with me and you is to cut you down and cast you into the fire. You have to be willing to be purged. 
you have to be willing to be pruned if you're going to continue to produce fruit in your life. Ultimately, God's looking for some fruit. And if I'm not producing because God is a producing God, if I'm not producing fruit, ultimately, where does all bad tree limbs go? And non-fruitful trees go eventually. You throw them in the fire. Because they're worthless. Oh yeah. This is good stuff. Let's never say this is good stuff. Ooh, I like to be cut on. Mm-hmm. Feels good. I like to be clean. Washed up. Praise God. Lifted off the ground. Ooh yeah, man. Y'all are liking this, I can tell. If you like this, say praise the Lord. And all of us, every one of us without exception, goes through that process of digging up and dunging and cutting and cleaning. Every one of us, including me. Because his whole purpose for creating you and putting you in this world is not so we can run around doing our own things. Doing all the works of the flesh because it feels good. Our purpose for being in this life, in this world, is to glorify him and to produce fruit he's looking for a harvest in my life in your life so hence the digging the dunging the clipping and the and all of that good stuff that i can tell y'all so much enjoy if you are a christian it is necessity it's part of it hallelujah how many of y'all want to produce fruit how many I want to go to heaven? Now, if you are a believer and you're walking with God, and Peter talks about adding to your faith virtue, etc., 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 it tells you things that you add to your faith. Faith is what brings you into salvation, but you've got to add virtue to that faith. You've got to add things to your faith. Love. Brotherly kindness. He talks about brotherly kindness. Love. You with me? Virtue. You add these things to your faith. And if you do, you will not be unfruitful, the Bible says. So get your concordance out and look where it talks about adding to your faith, virtue, etc., etc. If you will obey that, you will always be producing fruit. You won't have to worry about producing fruit. But you've got to add. Once you get saved, then you start adding to your life brotherly kindness, love, virtue, etc., Mm-hmm. Y'all doing okay out there? Y'all have a good day today? That's good. How many of y'all been dung lately? How much you been dug around dug around lately? How many y'all been clipped lately? How many y'all been washed lately? <laughs> it wasn't a nice soft sponge, was it? Like a you know one of them SOS pads. <laughs> Why rush? Don't feel good, does it? Whew. Yeah, yeah. That's when you're really demonstrating what you're made of. Let's talk about holiness. <clears throat> holiness means to be set apart. Say set apart. The Bible says holiness being set apart unto God, without which no man shall see the Lord. Jesus said this in John. He said, unless you're born again of the water and the spirit, 
you cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So we know the new birth is necessity. Hallelujah. But so is holiness. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. You won't see him in this life, and you will not see him in the life to come. As far as eternal life living with him. Holiness is a mandatory. It's to be set apart unto God. In this age in which we live, purity and holiness and living a life above sin is not the acceptable thing. Because everybody walks around and tells you, you got to sin a little bit. Or everybody's going to sin a little bit. That's a lie. Nowhere in the Bible does it ever say that you're going to sin a little bit. Now, let me help you though. Some of y'all are freaking out on me already. Holiness is a process. It's a growing process. When you come out of the womb, when you're born into the kingdom, you don't come out walking upright. Pure and everything just exactly right in your life. You come out of the womb, you can't even crawl. Somebody's got to carry you, change your diapers, heat your milk. All of that. But after a while, pretty soon, we start seeing holiness growing in process. You're maturing in your separation to God. So pretty soon, you're crawling. And then all of a sudden, you go up to a chair, you pull yourself up, you try to walk. And you know, you're walking, oh, ooh, there you, boom, there you go, you fall down. Fall right on your face. But you keep trying. You keep getting back up, pulling yourself back up. And, you know, you took two steps the time before, but now you're taking three. Woo, look at me go, look at me go, mama. Right? But you see, when you fail, that helps you the next time to know how to continue to walk and not to fall the next time. So that when you fall, always remember God's teaching you how not to do it the next time. So the next time, you can go further in Him before you collapse. Before you fall. So holiness is a process. It's not an overnight thing. Sanctification is an ongoing salvation process. I haven't arrived yet. I've got a long, I'm, ta I'm, I'm talking about me. i got a long ways to go in holiness. Because holiness is a process of growth that you are always striving for in maturity. So you might have stumbled in one area. Get back up. Don't stumble again. Learn to walk. Mature. Become a teenager. Then an adult in Christ. Then a father in Christ. Or, you know what I'm saying? I'm not talking gender here. So holiness is a process. But without which no man shall see the Lord. Now holiness, if you've been around for a while, and God, and, and God requires you to be at 12th grade, and you're, you're still down here in 1st grade, then what's going to happen? If you're supposed to be in 12th grade in your walk with Him in holiness and you're still acting in 1st grade, He will let the enemy hit you at a 12th grade level. And then you sit around and wonder, what happened to me? Why couldn't I handle that? Why couldn't I overcome that? Because God let you be hit in the area that you were supposed to be, not at the level that you just decided that's where you wanted to camp. Ooh. Mm -hmm. 
So God comes to us sometimes and says, now honey, you know, you've been a baby long enough. It's time for you to grow up. It's time for you to stop sucking your thumb. It's time for you to get off the bottle. It's time for you to get out of the pampers. You know, it's a real sad thing to see a 30-year-old in Christ sitting in a high chair. Come here, let me give you some, you know, some squish. You poor thing, always worried about, you know, they're going to get offended about something, you know, because they're not mature. They're immature little babies walking around acting like there's something really. So we're always having to change the diapers, you know, and that's okay if you're just now born. But if you've been around a while, it's not going to work. Amen. So y'all understand holiness is a process. Without it, without being set apart unto God and setting your life apart unto God. He set you apart so you could set yourself apart to Him. Without which no man shall see the Lord. Now I'm not trying to be uh, mean tonight, you know. I'm just giving you the truth. You got to guard your tongue. Guard your tongue. Be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Really the word conversation means all manner of lifestyle. But in this context, we'll just use it. Guard your tongue. Watch what you say. Guard your hands. Be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. Guard your eyes. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, David said. Watch your appearance. Women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Hallelujah. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. We are to perfect holiness in the fear of God. We are to present our bodies wholly acceptable unto God, which is our reasonable service. Holiness. The end result of that is everlasting life. When you talk about being separated unto God, being a peculiar people, the word peculiar means that you are owned by one. You are the sole possession of one. We are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. I'm owned by him. I'm owned by one. He possesses me. The word peculiar means a dot with a circle around it. I'm the dot in the middle. I'm surrounded by God. He possesses me. So that everything I say, everything I do, everything I touch, everything I see, everything I hear, everything about me should be controlled by the Lord. Before I do anything, I need to ask this question. Will Jesus watch that? Will Jesus watch that? Will Jesus touch that? Would Jesus go there? Would Jesus do that? Would Jesus say that? Would Jesus listen to that? Ask that question. Would Jesus? In everything you do, and it will help you control your life and your actions. I sense in the spirit that one area that we really need to kind of do some repenting over is the things we see with our eyes and hear with our ears. I just have a, you know, a little bit going on in my spirit that all of us can be guilty of some of that stuff. But if you go, you, are we sitting around? Listen to all kinds of filthy language and watching all kinds of filthy stuff and then wondering 
when we come to church while we don't have a move of God in our life and reading all kinds of junk and laying our hands on things we're not supposed to be laying our hands on doing things we're not supposed to be doing going to places we're not supposed to go to that affects us you know what's so awesome about holiness it will bring power in your life where, where sin, sin will defeat you. Holiness brings power in your life. Amen? Man, you've got, we've got to be careful. We've got to watch what our kids are watching. We've got to watch what our kids are looking at. We've got to watch what they're reading. We've got to check them out. You know, and this world today, they'll, they'll, point, they'll look at you like you're some kind of kook. Because you won't let them read that. You won't let them participate in this particular event. They look at you like you're insane. You're not insane. You're walking with God. You're walking in holiness and purity unto God. So just ask the Lord, would, just ask yourself the question, would Jesus do that? Woo, y'all don't want to, y'all want, y'all. We talked about the features of the king Sunday night. Bearing the features of the king. And if we're not careful, we begin to have the features or the resemblance or the, the image of the beast operating in our lives. We talked about that as God gave us supernatural direction to preach it. You know, I went home and I went on the internet and I looked up the site where Angie got the, the information on Valentine's Day. And I went and I started reading some of the information that he had. And, and in, a, in a large amount of different letters that he wrote, one thing he talked about was that God let me go to was how that we are becoming conformed to the image of this world. And that's exactly what I preach Sunday night. And God let me go right to it and look at it. He said that computer games, he said movies, he said, the world is putting us in its mold. And we are walking around in its image. We are burying its image so that we look more like that than we do the king. And holiness, holiness is having the features of the king. It is walking with him. Don't listen to the world when the world says, there's nothing wrong with that. What does God say about it? Would Jesus do it? And yeah, it's going to look and appear a little old-fashioned. I'm going to say it again. It's going to look, it's going to appear a little old-fashioned to this world. But who cares what the world thinks? We are not trying to please the world. We're trying to please God. We're trying to please Jesus. my hands he owns my life and he has he has the right and authority to tell me how to live it doesn't matter if this world accepts it or not it doesn't matter what does Jesus say about it amen yeah, man. God's good.
Guard our tongue. Guard our hands. Be separate, not even touch the unclean thing. Guard your eyes. I will set no wicked thing before my eyes, David said. If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy it. Some people say, well, preacher, show me where that is in the Bible. Show me where I can't listen to rock and roll music. Show me in the Bible where it says, don't listen to rock and roll music. I'm using that because of a, that's a personal example. When I was in the world, I lived for rock and roll music. I spent $1,300 on a car stereo when I was a, when I was a silly youth. $1,300 for a young person. $1,300 for me money now. You know, but I was a silly, silly kid. Had a 79 Trans Am. And I put $1,300 in a car stereo because I was heavily into rock and roll music. I wanted it to blow me out of the car. And it did. And I started living for God and God started dealing with me in that area of my life. First thing that came to me was my old heart. You know, maybe the enemy was using my heart. Where in the Bible does it say you cannot listen to rock and roll music? Well, guess what? The Lord came back and spoke to me. He said, if you are a friend of the world, you are an enemy of Christ. I said, Lord, are you saying, that's what he spoke to me. I said, Lord, are you telling me that I am an enemy of Christ because I'm listening to this music? He said, if you're a friend to the world, you are an enemy of Christ. So I can't find the Bible where it says, don't smoke. I can't find the Bible where it says, don't listen to rock and roll music. I can't find the Bible where it says, don't watch R-rated movies. I can't find the Bible where it says, don't, you know. On certain things but I can find the basic principles that if I defile if any man defile the temple of God him shall God destroy if I defile this church God will destroy me if I defile this temple God will destroy me if I'm a friend of the world I am an enemy of Christ and it's about time that people stop walking around saying I love Jesus But yet are living in this world and living in sin and claiming to love Christ at the same time. You don't love the Lord. You are an enemy of Christ if you are a friend of this world. Listen to me, young people. This is for you just like it's for the adults. Every one of you in this house. Oh, wow. Y'all pray for me to have the fruit of the Spirit, okay? While I'm preaching tonight. Listen, you are responsible, parents, for what your kids are watching, what they're reading, where they're going, what they're doing. And if you get this, well, they're going to get up mad at me. They're going to say, I'm old-fashioned. Honey, I don't care how they look at you. You have to go in there and say, you're not watching that. <laughs> what did I just hear? What are you watching? See, it's about time that we stop coming to church and say, Ooh, I love you, Lord. I love you, Lord. And we're a friend of the world. And really, we're an enemy of Christ, thinking we're really powerful 
servants of God. Everybody today claims to be a Christian. How many people have you ever talked to? Said, are you a Christian going to heaven? I would say probably nine times out of ten, everybody says, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm going to heaven. Really? And you're cheating on your wife? And you're drinking? And living like the devil in the world uh, through the week and then going to church on Sunday? You're nothing but a hypocrite. You're a lying hypocrite. You are not saved. Because the Bible says, he that knoweth God sinneth not. If you really walk with God, you don't sin. Because his seed remains in us. And you cannot sin. It doesn't mean that you won't be tempted and sometimes overcome into sin. But, it, but you can't continue in that sin and claim to be a Christian. Impossible. Are y'all okay out there? So we got to guard our eyes. Got to watch our appearance. Men got to watch their appearance. I got to watch my appearance. There's certain guidelines for men to walk in. Cut your hair. Clean shaven. You with me here? Oh boy, I've had some people run off and leave me on that one. I have. They quit the church. That told me what their idol was. Say praise the Lord. I love y'all. Amen. We got guidelines too. We got to abide by as men. We can't be running around in public with tank tops on. You know. I, we know you bad. Macho, macho Christian dude. Walking around in the summertime. Out no clothes on. We know you bad, stupid. Put your shirt on. Amen. See, this is not just for, for the ladies when it comes to appearance. It all, it's also has to do something with men. Now, how you run around, you know, in the privacy of your home or whatever, that's your thing. I'm not saying take a bath in your underwear. <laughs> there, there was one preacher, man, he went, he went way, way, way into holiness, man. He wouldn't even take a bath, wouldn't take a shower without his underwear on. <laughs> so don't call me up and say, hey, pastor, is it okay? <laughs> we take shot that close but there, and there are guidelines for women's apparel modest apparel cover your legs up with a dress not pants Whoa, well Deuteronomy 22.5 talks about that a woman shall not wear that which pertains to a man even looks like or resembles a man's apparel. For all that do so is an abomination to the Lord your God. You put on that which pertains to a man and watch. God says he hates it. Now there's some things that we do that is an abomination to us. The Bible talks about things we do that are abomination to us. But there are certain things that we do that are an abomination to God. And if it was an abomination to God in the Old Testament, He don't change what He hates. 
If it's an abomination then, it's an abomination now. So, you know what? If I come up here in a dress, just because it's in, just because it's in, you know, the fashion, it's in. Well, I like that, man. I think I'll wear me a dress to church. Y'all say, well, that guy, he's, he's effeminate. He, something's wrong with him. That's right. But you see, now it's so-called acceptable for women to wear pants. But if you even wear that which pertains to a man, God hates it. And what he hated then, he still hates today. Give God some praise. Modest, modest apparel. You know these words right here that you find in Timothy? I'll help you out. I got to hurry. First Timothy 2, 9 through 10. You know the word modest apparel? It's translated in some translations, long flowing garment. That's literally the way it's to be translated. So if you really want to get, you know, a lot of people want to get real nitpicky and say, well, there's women's pants and there's men's pants. And, oh, give me a break. The Bible says modest apparel. The, the translation literally from the Greek is a long flowing garment. Women adorn themselves in a long flowing garment. Give God some praise. But pastor, where I work, they just demand pants. I don't care what they demand. God hates it. And the Bible talks about those things that are abominable will not be in the new Jerusalem. So I don't care how much you speak in tongues. I don't care how you... I love Jesus. I love Jesus. If you're doing something that's abominable in His sight, you will not be in heaven. Revelation 21, read everything that's outside of those gates. Liars. Some people don't even have a problem with lying. All liars. Abominable. Dogs. You know what dog is? Homosexuality. Dogs. Read Revelation 21, 8 sometimes. See what all is going to be on the outside of that city. I don't care if you claim to be a Christian or not. It's not going to be in there, honey. Give God some praise. So anyway, I, I don't have time to preach all, everything on holiness tonight. But, but to uh, be holy, be set apart, to be peculiar means that you are possessed by Him. He owns you. And I don't care who we are tonight, including the preacher in the pulpit, to the person in the pew, every one of us are missing it somewhere in the area of holiness that God is talking to us about. Every one of us. Hallelujah. Well, I just don't understand. I just don't get it. You don't even have to understand it. You just have to obey it. If it's in the Word, you have to obey it. I don't understand why eating the fruit off a tree will cause the whole human race to be plunged into sin either. But God said, don't eat it. It's a matter of obedience and disobedience. Y'all got the point? Say holiness. Pretty heavy stuff, isn't it? The Apostle Paul. Let me go through this pretty quick. 
Hallelujah. Are you all set apart unto God? You thought you were until we <laughs> taught the lesson. I would have had a lot of people saying, Amen. Ooh, we holy. We holy, man. We holy. Until we start talking about it. And ooh, yeah, conviction starts settling in the house. <laughs> Sitting on the pulpit. Paul the Apostle, great Apostle Paul. I don't have time to go through all this. I'd have to go through the whole book of Acts. But the, the Apostle Paul starts out persecuting the church of the living God. He's struck down. He receives the baptism of the Holy Ghost, speaking other tongues in Acts chapter 9. He goes on three missionary journeys. He writes 14 epistles in the New Testament, and then he's beheaded for Christ in Rome. They talked about Paul. Traditionally, it says that he was, his, his legs, his legs were crooked. His back was hunched over. His hair, head was partly bald. His eyes closely set together. He had a hooked nose. The, the scripture says in 2 Corinthians 10 verse 10 that his body is weak in appearance and his speech is contemptible. So if you were to see the Apostle Paul, he would not fit the model of so many preachers today. You get the picture? Little in stature. Say little in stature. Little in stature. Partly bald. Eyes closely set together. Hook nosed, hunched back with a squeaky voice. Or a contemptible voice. Are you with me? But what he did, he shook the world. He turned the world upside down for Jesus Christ. Had a walk with God. Amen. Let's go on. Persecution breaks out. First and foremost, through the Apostle Paul. Paul starts persecuting the church, thinking he's doing God a service. A very religious man who claimed to know God. A Pharisee of the Pharisees, very strict in his religion. Of the tribe of Benjamin, the kingly tribe that Saul came from. Or the tribe that Saul came from, Benjamin. You with me here? This man's got a record of religion, but he's lost until he comes to know the Lord. Now, he's the one that's really heading the persecution up in the book of Acts to begin with. When we first come to Acts, we saw Stephen stoned to death. You with me here? What the devil tries to do is he tries to stop the church. He tries to shut it down. You with me? And so he tries to do that through persecution. So Stephen's the first martyr. Acts 6 and 7. Paul is going to Damascus to bind Christians up, to take them prisoners. He's like a ravenous animal. Thinking he's doing God a service. Binding men and women. Children. Taking them to be persecuted. Thinking he's doing God a service. He gave his consent or his voice to the stoning of Stephen. But the devil can't stop the church through persecution. Because when persecution hit the early church, it just spread the gospel. 
It went to Samaria. It went to Caesarea. All the way over to Antioch. To the uttermost parts of the earth. Primarily through persecution. Right? Persecution spreads the burning torch of the gospel. In Rome, believers meet severe persecution. Fed to the lions, etc. So anyway, the point is persecution spreads the gospel. Stephen is stoned to death. James, the half-brother of Jesus, is beheaded in the book of Acts, chapter 12. You can read about that. But I'm going to run through some of his apostles. I don't know where y'all left me. Y'all left me somewhere. But I'm still going to go through it. <laughs> Nero in the times of Nero, which was around 64 A.D. Under Nero, Peter was crucified upside down on a cross. He claimed to be unworthy, to be crucified like his Lord. So they took him, put his head down here and his legs up there, and they crucified him upside down. That's what tradition says. Paul, in the persecution of Nero, was beheaded. We saw that. In the previous picture, beheaded for the faith. Philip, one of the disciples, Philip, was beaten, thrown in prison, and then crucified. Matthew was slain in Ethiopia. James the Less, at 94, was beaten and stoned by the Jews and finally had his brains dashed out with a club. Matthias, the one who took the place of Judas, was stoned and beheaded at Jerusalem. Andrew, Peter's brother, was crucified. Jude, or Thaddeus, was crucified. Bartholomew, or Nathaniel, in, in India, was flayed. Or what that means, literally his skin was stripped or peeled off his body until he died. Thomas. The disciple Thomas, the doubting Thomas, a spear was thrust through him while preaching in India. Simon Zealot preached in Africa and Britain. He was crucified in Britain. John, the apostle John, was boiled in hot oil in Rome, cast out in the Isle of Patmos, and then was called up from exile. He's the only one who died natural causes. But can you imagine being boiled in hot, hot, hot oil? Then to be cast out there to work the mines or whatever he did. That's where he got the book of Revelation. He didn't die a violent death. History says when he was an old man, they took him to the church of Ephesus where he pastored for a while. They took him there. And as an old man, they had to help him to the podium he stood there as an old man holding himself up by the podium and this is what he said he said I write unto you little children that you love one another old feeble man named John he's the only one that didn't but die a violent death Mark was dragged to pieces in Alexandria Luke was 
hanged on an olive tree by the priest in Greece. And so that's what happened to most of the disciples that you're familiar with in the Word of God. All it did was spread the gospel. Luke 19. Let me go there. I'm going to read this to you. The destruction of Jerusalem. Hallelujah. Verse 41, Luke 19. When he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou hast known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the days shall come upon thee, that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee, and compass thee round, and keep thee in on every side, shall lay thee even with the ground, and thy children within thee, and they shall not leave in thee one stone upon another, because thou knewest not the time of thy visitation." So he prophesied the destruction, Jesus did, the destruction of Jerusalem. Go to Luke 20. Uh, Luke 20. Uh, it's uh, 20, not, no, it's 21. Let's start there in verse 19. 21, Luke, uh, 21, 19. In your patience possess ye your souls. When you shall see Jerusalem compassed with armies, then know that the desolation thereof is nigh. Then let them which are in Judea flee to the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of it depart out, and let not them that are in the countries enter therein. Jesus warned the church right there. Okay? He said that, now look, watch. Jesus, he's prophesying this just before his death. About 40 years later, this is all going to take place. So he's forewarning people what to look for, okay? That Jerusalem is going to fall, be destroyed. He tells them to flee when he sees these armies come past around about Jerusalem, right? Okay. He says, flee into Judea and the mountains. Let them which are in the midst of, uh, midst of it depart out, verse 21. And let not them that are in the countries enter therein. For these be the days, the days of what? Vengeance. That all things which are written may be fulfilled. But woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days. For there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. They shall fall by the edge of the sword, and shall be led away captive in all nations. And Jerusalem shall be trodden down to the Gentiles, until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. Now notice, he said this. He said that it was a time of wrath. Verse 22, he says, at the time of vengeance. Verse 23, but woe unto them that are with child, and to them that give suck in those days, for there shall be great distress in the land, and wrath upon this people. See, some people think that God's wrath is only specifically going to happen in the future. Now, what you need to understand is we need to get away from so much hyper-dispensationalism that only puts the wrath of God in the future seven-year period called tribulation. God said that the time of vengeance upon Jerusalem, which would take place shortly after his death, was a time of vengeance and wrath. 
there is so much in the Word of God that we've learned by dispensationalists that are not that are not true. There are statements that are not true. And, and I'm telling you what God's doing. He's turning on light now. And we're starting to see and understand things that we didn't know before. But we're having to get rid of some stuff we were taught. Because the Bible clearly tells us that that is the wrath of God in that generation. So to say that there cannot be the wrath of God at any time in history except some future day of the Lord thing is not Bible, my friend. And the Christians were there when His wrath fell then. I'm trying to show you words that so often we jump over and, and put them in a compartment. And the reason we don't see them is because of what we've been taught in the past. But the judgment and the vengeance that would fall upon Israel 40 years later is called God's vengeance and it's called God's wrath. It's a type of that which is to come that's going to be worse in the last days. Now, now watch what I'm telling you. Watch what I'm telling you. Are you here? We're going to have a good time. We're going to learn some awesome stuff. Now, don't take off yet because it's the, the enemy wants to, some of y'all are getting fidgety. You're getting like this. See, the enemy wants to get you out of here before I finish this lesson. Because we're fixing to get into we're fixing to get into doctrine and stuff. And the enemy don't want you to hear this. But Jesus prophesied a day of vengeance upon Jerusalem. He pro he prophesied wrath upon Jerusalem. He said the city would be compassed round about, it would be trenched on every side. He said it would be destroyed. Okay? He says until the times of the Gentiles be fulfilled. That doesn't happen until you get into the tribulation period. All right, now hold on here. Listen. Will y'all stay with me? Lord, I just pray right now in the name of Jesus over this church. Lord God, touch their minds. Let them gird up the loins of their mind right now for what they will hear. It's very, very important, God, to them. It is your word, God, that we're studying tonight. Help us to not be distracted. In the name of Jesus. Jesus is crucified. And approximately 40 years later, okay, in around the year 70 A.D., watch this. We had Nero, his persecution. Peter was persecuted. Jane, uh, Paul was put to death in Nero's persecution around 64. A.D. A few years later, after those persecutions took place, the prophecy about Jerusalem's destruction took place. Nero was replaced by this Vespasian, I believe is how you say his name. Okay? Vespasian was the emperor. He had a son named Titus who was a Roman general. The Jews believed the prophecy that someday they would rule the world. You with me? They thought because they were going to rule the world, they could resist the government of the day. So they would keep rising up and rebelling and revolting against the Roman government. Now, what happened was, when Vespasian takes the place of Nero and his son Titus, they go up against Jerusalem because the Jews, at a particular time, they're revolting, they're rebelling against the authority of Rome. And 
Titus gives them the opportunity to surrender. I'm up here. Don't look at, look at the baby. He's okay. He's all right. He's not, he's not hurting anybody. Uh, the preacher's up here. Thank you. And you're going, wow, you mean preacher. No, I want you to hear what I'm saying. You're, we're too easily distracted. We are too easily distracted. I'm not trying to be mean, but watch. He sends them a message. He gives them an opportunity to surrender. They refuse to surrender. And so but Titus, the Roman general, goes, he, he sieges or besieges the city. He surrounds it. So nobody can get out and no, nobody can get in and no food can get in. And so now people are starving in the city. Just like Jesus said was going to happen. They're starving. They don't have any food. There's sickness, disease everywhere. Instead of the Jews rising up and unifying together and fighting the Roman government, the enemy, so to speak at that time, they begin to fight each other. I'm up here, I'm up here, I'm up here. I tell, I'm fixing to shut this computer off. I, I don't understand why we can't receive instruction. Now watch. They, instead of surrendering, begin to fight. Instead of fighting the enemy, start fighting each other. And it is mass confusion and chaos. For some reason, Titus backs off. When he backs off, the Christians who heard the prophecy from Jesus' mouth, the Christians flee out of Jerusalem for no apparent reason whatsoever. Titus retreats. We know why. God did that. So that the Christians could escape the time of this destruction or the time of this vengeance or the time of his wrath. So every Christian that took the word of God seriously and took the warning of God seriously, when they had the opportunity, they fled out of the city so that when the city was destroyed, few, if any, Christians died in that city because they listened to the word of God. They escaped to the mountains, and just like Jesus told them, they did what he told them to do. They followed his instructions. And they escaped that time. And then shortly thereafter, Titus again attacks that city. History says that it was so bad in 70 AD, that time frame, that mothers would eat their babies. Mothers would eat their children. Jesus prophesied it would happen. And, and men took their leather belts and, and gnawed their leather belts just to have something in their bellies to eat. When he attacked, it was so bloody. There was blood everywhere. Members, body members and parts cut off. People dead everywhere. It was so bad that Josephus says that 500 people a day were crucified outside of the city of Jerusalem. 500 a day. 
before it was all over, approximately one million people died in that slaughter. In fact, there were so many people crucified outside of Jerusalem that they ran out of crosses and they ran out of room to crucify them on. That's just exactly what Jesus said was going to happen. That's exactly what took place. He said in Matthew 24, not one stone would be left upon another in the temple. The Jews set the temple on fire. The gold melted from the top of the temple. It went down into the, into the blocks of the temple. And the, the Roman soldiers lived by what they captured in spoils. So they started ripping the temple apart one stone off of another. Just like Jesus prophesied to get to that gold that had melted down there. And then they plowed it like a field where the, where the temple of God once existed. They plowed it like a field and destroyed the city. And that was 70 A.D. And everybody else that survived that carnage and death were taken prisoner throughout the rest of the world called the dispersion. They were made slaves all over the world. So that from the year 70 A.D. to a year called 1948, there was no nation of Israel. For over 1,800 years, there was no nation of Israel going back to this time right here. But the Lord told us and prophesied in the prophets that there would be a nation of Israel in the last days. And in 1948, they became a nation again after a, over 1,800 years of being no nation they are a miracle today now let me just say this judgment seems so far away when Jesus said it in his day it seemed impossible it seemed so far away it seemed like it was not gonna happen but it happened just like Jesus said it was going to happen. To us today, judgment seems so far away. It seems impossible that it's going to happen. But I'm telling you right now that Jesus said there's a day coming that is worse than this day. Worse than that day. It will come. It will happen. It will be worse than any time in history. Now, where do we fit in that time of, of trouble? Number one, we're either going to be caught out in what is called the rapture of the church. Or, God's going to leave us in this earth to go through that seven-year period of time. The wrath of God is not appointed to His people. The Word of God says the wrath of God is not appointed to us. So, if we are left to go through the seven-year tribulation period... The first part of the tribulation period is local. It's only on Israel. The last part of the tribulation period is worldwide. We will not come under the wrath of God. You hear it with me? Either we'll be raptured or He'll protect us through it. But you better be ready for whatever event that's going to be. If it's the catching away, Christians were saved from this wrath. But they weren't taken out. We, might, we may be taken out in a rapture. So you better be ready for the rapture. If not, you better be ready to go through that seven-year tribulation period 
and watch all kinds of destruction and chaos like this world has never seen before and have the kind of faith that's going to get you through in your walk with God if you do go through that. I'm not saying His wrath is going to come on the church. He spared them here. I believe He'll spare us in those days to come if we go into it. But I'm trying to tell you that our world is set up now. America is set up for the judgment of God. When you start legalizing gay marriages, homosexual marriages, when states in our country start legalizing that stuff, you know that the judgment of God is going to fall on this nation. Thanks be to God that at least President Bush today, I heard on the news, is going to take a stand and try to make uh, some type of law uh, sanctifying marriage between a man and a wife, a woman, in the United States of America. So he's trying to, to curb it, trying to stop it, you know. I'm not going to question his motivation. But thanks be to God for at least that. Because our country is set up for the judgment of God. There's so much immorality and sin. And if you're saying no judgment's a long ways. Honey, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Just like Jesus said here. And it did take place. Now in closing, let me talk about. The enemy could not get the church through persecution. He tried to destroy it through persecution. What time is it, Brother Mark? Eight what? Thanks, brother. Okay. When the enemy came against the church to persecute or, or to try to wipe it out, it only spread the gospel. Amen? It spread the gospel. So what he decided to do was this. He said, I can't destroy the church by killing it, so I'll join it. So he decided to join the church. Now, pray a, pray a prayer for me under your, under your breath right now because I've got to get this to you and I've got to have God quicken this in my mind. Just say a prayer for me, okay, under your breath. There is a lot going on up here. I, I, <laughs> there's a lot going on up here, okay? There's a lot of spiritual stuff going on in this house right now. I, just say a prayer for me because the enemy doesn't want this information to go out. Because it's going to affect so many of your lives. It's going to set you free. The enemy joined the church. How did he do that? Well, there was a man by the name of Constantine. The 4th century A.D. Okay? He wanted to be the next emperor of Rome. He's got some competition. What happens is he has a vision, history says, Constantine does, of a cross. And in that vision, when he sees that cross, he hears these words, By this conquer. By this you will conquer. Now up to this point... The church has gone through heavy persecution. We talked a little bit about it earlier. 
Constantine, on the other hand, instead of persecuting the church, is going to be used by the devil to infiltrate the church. And he has that vision of the cross that by the cross he will be able to conquer. So he embraces Christianity. Now Constantine was a Baal worshiper. Sunday mornings when I'm preaching the judges to you, I tell you that Baal worship is still here today. And some of you don't know what I'm talking about. I'm fixing to tell you. Baal worship in the Old Testament is why God judged Israel. Because they embraced it. Constantine was a worshiper of Baal. Okay? False god Baal. He embraces Christianity. He worships Baal. And what he does is, he, they, basically the devil joins the church. Are y'all with me here at this point? He becomes the emperor of Rome. And also he will become the first pope of a universal church. Now, what you need to understand, that the early church, the apostles were preaching the apostles' doctrine. We went through last week. Repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, the infilling of the Holy Ghost, speaking in other tongues, the oneness of God. That was their teaching. That was their preaching. When you get to about the year 313, in the time that we're talking about Constantine here, it is said that half the world was Christian. Half the world was Christian. And a, a many of those believers were still apostolic believers. They were still believers like the apostles preached. Over half the world, 313. But around 130 and 140 A.D., I, I hope I'm not losing you too much here. I'm trying to go. The destruction of Jerusalem is around 70 A.D., now, 130 to 140 A.D. The, the doctrine of the baptism uh, formula in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost in 130 to 140 began to be practiced. Up to that point, people before that time, everybody was baptized in the name of Jesus. But 130, 140, they started baptizing in the titles, Father, Son, Holy Ghost. In the year 150 A.D., a man by the name of Tertullian came along. He was a very, very brilliant lawyer. In the year 150 A.D., he started teaching that God was a trinity. That there was one essence of God, but three persons. In 150 A.D., now, Constantine, when he embraces Christianity, he is a worshiper of Baal. 325 A.D., they have a council called the Council of Nicaea. Constantine, who is now the emperor of Rome, who is a Baal worshiper, so-called converted to Christianity, has this council the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. And the first thing they try to tackle is the nature 
of God or the, who is Jesus Christ. Please hear me. He calls the bishops uh, of, of all the various church, different churches to come in, into this council of Nicaea. This is history. You can, you can read about it yourself in history. They all got together and they started discussing the nature of Jesus. And a debate took place there. Now, what you need to understand is they were already baptized in the titles around 130 to 140. And they were already, uh, had been exposed to a, a three-person type teaching by Tertullian in 150. And so now they're debating these things. Who is Jesus Christ? Is he God? Or is he just one of the people in the Godhead, one of the persons in the Godhead. And so back and forth they went, and they made it official that Jesus, the Son, was separate from the Father, the Spirit. Divided them into, made, and, and they became two persons. Now again, that was not the first time that we had ever heard of a Trinity doctrine or, or making persons of God. Tertullian had already presented that in 150. They were already baptized in the titles in 130-140. But Constantine and his group in this Nicene Council made it official. Made it official doctrine of the universal or Catholic Church. Then it was not until around 381 A.D. in Constantinople that they had another council and they decided, hey, and I'm being kind of tongue-in-cheek here, but they decided we forgot one of the per persons in the Godhead. <laughs> what are we going to do with the Holy Ghost? We got Jesus figured out and we got, we got the Son figured out and we got uh, the Father figured out, but what about, about the Holy Ghost? We left Him out. So in 381 A.D., in the Council of Constantinople, they added, to the, added the Holy Ghost to this Godhead, and they made it a law. They made the Trinity a law. And if you did not believe in the doctrine of the Trinity by law, you were branded as a heretic and you were persecuted. Now, where did, all, where did this multiplicity or making God three persons come from? Baal worship. Baal worship goes all the way back to the Tower of Babel. And the Tower of Babel, you with me here? They believed in more than one God. So Constantine, who's a Baal worshiper, he brought all of that Babylonian doctrine into the universal church or the Catholic church, and he made it a law. And it was not Bible. The Bible does not teach the doctrine of the Trinity, three persons in the Godhead. And it was a law that you had to believe that or be persecuted and branded as a heretic. Are y'all okay out there? You hear what I'm saying? The church, because of that, fell into the dark ages. But we'll talk about that in a minute. They also started using the baptismal formula of in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost instead of in Jesus' name, which is the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. They changed the, doc the baptismal formula 
or I should say made it official for that church in 325 A.D. It had already started in 130 to 140. It's not in the Bible, man. Okay? They changed also in the place of receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost. They changed in the place of that. They substituted anointing with oil. Now we believe in anointing with oil for the purpose of praying for the sick. But they changed it via receiving the baptism of the Holy Ghost to anointing with oil. They changed immersion in the name of Jesus. Right. Later in history, Mary, the mother of Jesus, was said to have been the, the mother of God. They had a meeting in Ephesus. Are you here with me? In Ephesus. What did they do in Ephesus? They worshipped Diana of the Ephesians, a false goddess, who also goes back to the Tower of Babel. Semiramis, Nimrod's wife, is who in the New Testament Diana is. So they were worshipping Semiramis, Nimrod's wife. Nimrod is Baal, by the way. Nimrod is Baal. So Constantine was a worshipper of Nimrod. Diana of the Ephesians is Semiramis, his wife. Are you with me here? So they got together and they said, Mary is the mother of God. In Ephesus, where they worship Diana or where they worship Semiramis is where they claim that she was the mother of God. She's not the mother of God. She's the, the mother of the humanity. Uh, this Jesus is humanity. What they did was they took Diana worship and they called Diana so it would be acceptable. They called her Mary. Because Mary worship and, and calling Mary the mother of God is nothing more than Diana worship of the Ephesians or Semiramis worship of Babylon. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Okay. Amen. Is this helping anybody? As I said, baptism was changed with the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Right. From the year 325 A.D. to the year 1517, the church became more and more corrupt as it went. So that popes were placed in positions. And there was a place they called purgatory. That when you died, you went to a place called purgatory. And you could pay indulgences or releases for yourself or for a loved one to get them out of purgatory. Do you know that Mother Teresa went to purgatory when she died? In fact, if you're a Catholic, I don't care if you're the Pope or, or Mother Teresa or whoever you are, it doesn't matter what Catholic position you're in. When you die, they believe that everybody goes to purgatory. And you have to be prayed out of purgatory or, you know, uh, indulgences have to be paid in order for you to be released from purgatory to get to heaven. Nobody in the Catholic Church goes straight from here to be with the Lord Jesus. They believe every one of them goes through a place called purgatory, a purging place. 
And if, you know, while you're alive, you got enough money, you can pay releases or indulgences to get yourself out or somebody else gets you out. But everybody's got to be prayed for to get out of purgatory. And so that doctrine and indulgences were established at that time. Monasteries were set up. When Constantine, who started the Catholic Church, when he started, and these, all this stuff started flooding in, it caused the church to go in the dark ages. What happened was he opened the doors of the church, the universal church, and invited everybody in without the new birth. You could come into the church in name only. You didn't have to be born again. Just, just say you're a member of the church. That's all. So pagans flooded the church. Judaism flooded the church. Greek mythology flooded the church. The apostles' doctrine was set aside. And people were Christian in name only. The idols that were in those pagan temples. Hear me. Because paganism has come into the church. The idols in the pagan temples, false gods, were given names of saints. Those idols in those churches are not dead saints. Those idols are pagan gods. They are mythology gods who the Catholic Church named saints. Not only that, but also they embraced in that universal church, they embraced all the pagan holidays and gave them Christian names. Are you hearing me what I'm saying right now? And, and the nuns, I hate to tell you this, I don't want to offend you, but I hate to tell you that the nuns that were forbidden to marry were nothing more than what the temple prostitutes were in paganism. They became the temple prostitutes of Catholicism. And if you study history close enough, you will find, if you really want to study what I'm telling you, you can find this in history, you will find that many of those nuns became pregnant with children and a lot of those children were taken and thrown in, in the areas of their, their churches where they could not be found later to be found. Their bones of children were found where those nuns who were nothing more than temple prostitutes in those days. Are you hearing me? And so all of this came flooding into the church under Constantine. No wonder the church fell into the dark ages. The Lord had prophesied through the apostles. He said there would be a great falling away. And I'm telling you today, friend, listen. I, I'm not uh, preaching against the people in that church. I'm preaching against the system. The system is going to take them to hell by the millions. By the millions. Because they think they can be a part of God's church without the new birth. And they completely change the, the doctrines. And so, it comes from Baal worship, Nimrod worship, and uh, Semiramis worship, all the way back in Genesis chapter 10 and 11. <clears throat> And it was brought in the church by Constantine, who was a bell worshiper. They made Mary. They called really Semiramis Mary. They called Diana Mary, etc., etc. 
Y'all got the point. You understand what I'm trying to say. Isn't God good, though, to, to many of us that He showed us the truth and He brought us out of all of that darkness and all of those lies that, that we're not a part of that anymore? And so that's why we're working so hard to, to try to teach the Word of God and put the Word of God in people's lives and hearts and teach Bible studies because they don't know. Many of them have no idea that they're caught up in a system that is judged by God. Even the hat of the Pope, the shape of a fish, takes you back to Baal worship. See, Baal or Nimrod is known as the God of a thousand names. And there was a false God named Dagon who was a fish God who is none other than Baal. When that Pope walks around with his hat like this, he is literally telling you that he is the, he is the high priest of Dagon. He is not a priest of the Lord Jesus Christ. He claims that in name only. But he is actually and truly a priest of Dagon himself. He is a high priest of Baal. In fact, he wears upon his finger the fisherman's ring. And that doesn't mean he's a fisherman of souls. That means that he is the high priest of Baal. He's a high priest of Dagon. You will see he carries a pole, a staff in his hand, and Christ is on it. Christ is still on the cross to them. So that not only that, when you go to those services and they hold their masses, what you need to understand is that when they take what we call the Lord's Supper, it becomes a sacrifice at that time, not a memorial to his death. They believe that he is once again sacrificed again. That's blasphemy. And it's damning multitudes to hell, church. And that church was responsible for the martyrdom and persecution of true Christians in history. Now here's the thing. The Bible says in Revelation 17, it's called Mystery Babylon, the mother of harlots. So she had some offspring. There are churches today who call themselves Protestant churches who still hold the same doctrines of Constantine. Same doctrines that are there and all the pagan holidays and all that stuff that's there. Protestantism. And even in the Catholic Church, you can look in the encyclopedia. They say if you, still, if you preach the doctrine of the Trinity, you are nothing more than a separated brother. So there, there are children to her today in Protestantism. So I thank God for this truth of the apostolic doctrine. Galatians 1 and 8 the apostle Paul said this he said though we are an angel from heaven preach any other gospel than that which we have preached talking about him the apostles let them be accursed he said if an angel come and stands in this church right now and tells you something different than what the apostles preached he said, that angel's accursed. 
if I stand behind this pulpit, if you wonder where, where the, the way God sees all these preachers that are preaching this false doctrine, an angel is a messenger. When they stand in their pulpits and they preach this stuff, they are messengers of Satan. They are a curse of God. But I'm thankful today to be able to tell you that in the last days, after over 1,200 years of darkness and apostasy, and everything I've said can be proven historically. After 1,200 years of apostasy and going to the dark ages, a ray of light began to come forth. And the Lord willing, if the Lord hasn't come for us, it's in His control. Next week, we're going to we'll start our lesson in the last days, and we'll talk about how the church started going back to the prototype of the early church and started preaching what they started preaching again. So that there is a church today. It's invisible. There's a church today. It's not in any specific location. It's not called by any specific name. There's, there are churches today that are just like the early church. And your responsibility, the Bible says this, come out from among them and be ye separate. This is heavy. This is heavy. It's so heavy that you have brothers and sisters in history that were put to death for what you believe. to death and I'm telling you right now we really haven't paid so, so great a price have we mm -hmm. to come out from among that and be separate and, and really be born again and walk with God in holiness and truth we are a blessed people and the, on the other hand we have a great responsibility a great responsibility. So watch this. You will pay a price when you come out of that. You will be fought. You will be persecuted. They will come against you. You will be rejected. There is a price that you have to pay. In fact, do you know that the Catholic Church teaches that if you're not a part of that church, you cannot be saved? That if you're not a part of that organization, that you cannot be saved. And they believe it. So they're going to fight you when you come out of it. So what we're doing here is we are exposing lies. I came out of a church. I wasn't raised in this, in this way, in this truth. I came out of a church. That basically preached the same thing. And Constantine eventually went over to Constantinople into Turkey there. They split. The church split. Became an Eastern Western Church. The Eastern Church became the Greek Orthodox Church. The Western Church is the Papal Church. 
So I'm glad today for the truth. I thank God for the truth. If you want, if you want more teaching on church history, uh, when we went through the book of Revelation, I think it's like the first series. When we went through the seven churches of Revelation, do you know that those seven churches of Revelation literally lay out church history for you like a hand in a glove? That what Jesus said to each one of those churches individually can be laid out over history, beginning with the early church all the way to the last days. It can be laid out. And so we taught that and we got into depth, in-depth teaching on church history. If you want more teaching, it's in the, it's in the series on Revelation. It's, I don't know how many tapes. I, I wouldn't even want to guess. But we went into detail on it, okay? But I pray tonight that you've heard enough. Now, for some of you, that means you're going to have to make a decision. For some of you, that means for you to walk back into those systems again. And to sit in their pews without saying nothing or doing anything about it. You become, you condone that system. The Lord said, come out from among them. So for some of you, what you've heard now, the light that you have, you are now responsible for. You cannot go back into that system. You have to come out. I don't care if mama likes it, daddy likes it, brother likes it, sister likes it, wife likes it, husband likes it. It doesn't matter. You've got to leave it. If you don't leave it, they're going to stay in it. The only way they're going to come out of it is if you get out of it. The Lord said, get out of her. Come out of her, my people. And partake not of her plagues. Got to come out, man. I love you. Let's stand. Lord, I praise you tonight for your awesome grace. Thank you for the truth. And I pray, God, for all of those who are now present in this church. That they will act upon what they've heard. You're coming back for a church without spot or wrinkle. Or any such thing. Lord, you said the truth is what's going to make us free. We pray, God, in this last days. That we, your people. Would obey you. Would serve you. And we would not compromise. We would refuse to let the enemy come into this house. And infiltrate it with a charismatic doctrine, with psychology and philosophy. Just so we could say we have a big, big church. Help us, Lord, to stand and preach the Word of God. Not philosophy and psychology. In Jesus' name. Amen.